So I'm being God's holy, holy word in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was blinding and every violation and disobedience revealed, is it's just punishment. So how shall we escape it if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now let me take you to chapter 3, verse 1. It's a a pay attention warning, and then we come into the, the important that they're wanting us to be aware of. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in this heavenly colony, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has found, been found worthy of great honor, greater than Moses, just as the builder of the house was, has great honor that the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and hope that we have in glory. Now, if you're a visitor today, this may not make sense, but this is a tear-up week. Tuesday, I got 13 pages all typed up. We were going, we were going through all the generations, the, the bouncers and all this, the Xers and the wires, and so on Tuesday night, I'm sitting there telling my wife it's terrible. It's not, it's ain't where we're supposed to go. So Tuesday night, about nine o'clock. And we wrote th- this one, God bless us. Now, we've been, we've done this before. You who are in home folks know that somebody in here needs something from today's sermon. See, we don't, we follow a preaching schedule every week of what God tells us to go to. We don't buy the schedule that you buy on the internet or we don't buy the sermons. I think um, they're like four or five bucks each or seven bucks. I don't know what it is. But we, we go. So somebody in here needs what you're going to hear today. Others might be nice and wonderful, but somebody needs it. So let's do it. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a section that gives the nation of Israel and us sitting here today a prophecy of the coming king. But for us sitting there today, it stretches our understanding. Now, I'm not going to read it to you. We're going to call it homework. No, no, we're going to call it homework, right? Sometime this week, I would like you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and read verses 14 through 22 in light of the sermon that you're getting today. Deuteronomy 14... Chapter 18, verses 14 through 22. But I'm not going to read it to you because we'll never get out of here. The prophecy in 
Deuteronomy chapter 18 pointed to Jesus being a prophet like Moses. But we here today don't often think of Jesus as being a prophet. Let alone better prophet than Moses. Why is Jesus a prophet? And what is that important? Is it, why is it important to us? Let's word it that way. I'm going to give you five statements about some character in the Bible. And then at the end of it, I'm going to ask you who I was referring to. So we're going to go through them kind of quickly. One, the first one here is going to be when he was born, the people of Israel were under the control of a foreign nation. When he was born, the people of, it, these aren't in your sermon notes. I'm just giving you questions. The next question is going to be when he was born, his life was in danger from a powerful king. Let's do the next one. He came to save his people. Next one. He went down to Egypt. And at one point in his life, he fasted for 40 days and nights. Who am I talking about? And Moses. Jesus and Moses. Both of them are an exact... This is a mirror. Now... All five of these statements apply both equally to Moses and Jesus. And that makes sense because God had promised Moses, I will raise up from them a prophet like you among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak them all that I have commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. Now that is Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19. And let me put it to you, those last couple words should get your attention. It's scary. I myself will require him. This is God talking. It's like one of those zapping times from a lightning bolt. Yeah, God's going to require an accounting, not listening to the words. Jesus was a was the prophet that God had promised. A prophet like Moses. But there was a significant difference between the two men. While Jesus was like Moses, he was also greater than Moses. And that's what our passage today is saying. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. That's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, for all to read to this day. In the book of Hebrews, all through the book of Hebrews, we are repeatedly told that Jesus is better than anything else. Jesus offered a better hope. Now that's Hebrews 7.19. A better covenant. That's Hebrews 7.22. And then it's also in 8.5. A better resurrection. Oh, I love that one. A better resurrection. That's Hebrews 11.35. And a better sacrifice. That's Hebrews 9.22. And it also says he... 
himself was better than any angel, better than any Old Testament priest, and of course, better than Moses. Now that's quite a statement. To say that Jesus was better than Moses would be hard for some Jewish believers to swallow. It would be terribly hard for them to swallow. Because Moses is the pillar of the Jewish society. Even to this modern day, one man noted, the Jews thought Moses was far better than the prophet and leader than anyone else. And Moses had been protected by God from his birth through his death. And between those two dates of Moses' life, this is what they teach, and this is true in the Bible, between those two dates of his life, right? They were filled, his life was filled with miracle after miracle after miracle. And while God spoke to the prophets in visions, God spoke to Moses face to face. The Jews had great confidence in the law of Moses, even to this day. The Old Testament commandments and the rituals were their highest priorities even to today. And for the Jew, Moses and the law were one and are one. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, verse 22, then in Acts 13, 4, and etc., the commandments of God were often referred to as the law of Moses. That's what they refer to the, the commandments, the laws of Moses. Moses not only brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, which laid out all the laws that govern everything in Jewish life to this day. And because of this, some Jews believe that Moses was even greater than the angels. However, Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews called the people to look at Jesus, not to Moses. Because while Moses was great, Jesus was far greater. Moses was great, and Jesus was far greater. Think about it this way. We've talked about this little thing before, but it's such a great illustration, it's going to fit right in here. Back in 1972, I like the 70s, NASA launched a space probe called Pioneer 10. The satellite's primary mission was to reach out to Jupiter, photograph the planet and its moons, and then beam all that information back. It's a bold plan. That's where we get all our pictures. Of. And at that time, no Earth satellite had ever gone beyond Mars. And they feared that the asteroid belt would destroy the satellite before it ever reached it. And it's true, it made it through the asteroid belt. But Pioneer Tin not only reached Jupiter, it did a lot more than that. On November 1973, scientists used Jupiter's immense gravity as a kind of a slingshot, and Pioneer 10 was hurled towards the edge of the solar system. One billion miles from the sun, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. 
at 2 billion miles past the sun, it hurled past Uranus. And at nearly 3 billion miles, Neptune. And almost 4 billion miles, Pluto. In 1997, 25 years after it was launched, Pioneer 10 had traveled more than 6 billion miles. Sidetrack, that battery lasted over 25 years and it's only supposed to last so many months. Okay, that's, but hear me, I, I got to keep going. Maybe we need those batteries in our cars. <laughs> okay, let's get back to the sermon. It sent signals. The most remarkable fact, 25 years later, it sent signals from the space 8-watt transmitter. That's roughly the power of a nightlight in your bathroom. Pioneer's computing power. Your personal cell phone, if you do the math, has one million times more power than was on Pioneer 10. Can I say that again? Your cell phone has one million times more power than was on that spacecraft when it was launched. My point is, Pioneer 10 accomplished a phenomenal task. It was the first of only five spacecrafts that ever made it out of our solar system. But as much as that little sight, little satellite could do, and it did it, today's spacecraft are built far better and far more powerful. Your cell phone is more powerful. In the same way that Moses was good, and he was good, and he did mighty things. But Moses couldn't even compare to the power and the might of Jesus. Now, as Christians, I think we pretty well got that figured out. But the idea of Jesus, we understand the power and the might, but the idea of Jesus as a prophet, and a better prophet than Moses, I don't believe we think about that very much. When's the last time you ever thought about him as a prophet? But Jesus was a prophet. And why should we care whether Jesus was a prophet or not? No, no, no. Why should we care? I mean, should we care? That, should we care? Well, God cared. God told Moses he'd raise up a prophet like Moses. And since that prophet was Jesus, that's got something to it. But what? Why is it so important? Well, first, by definition, a prophet was someone who declared God's will to the people. In Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you, now he's talking to the people, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. That's in your homework. 
And that's what God said when Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration. This is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. Listen to him. Moses said you'll listen. God said you'll listen. These words are found in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, for all to read to this day if you want to check it out. And when Jesus spoke, he declared the will of God to us because that's what a prophet does. But Jesus was different than all other prophets. Throughout the Old Testament, a prophet would say, Thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. But when Jesus spoke, I say unto you. I say unto you. And that's one of the things that amazed Jesus' audience. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, we are told that the crowds were astonished at his teaching. It says, therefore, he taught them as one having authority. Jesus had something to say. And he was superior to every other prophet who lived, including Moses. And because because he did not have to say, thus saith the Lord. But prophets have a message. What message, as a prophet, did Jesus have to give us? This is where we kind of lose it sometimes. Well, there's this, there's that standard stuff that most prophets preached. Jesus preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. Not a word that we like to hear about today, but that's what Jesus preached. Matthew 4, 17 tells us that Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Every prophet in the Bible that preached to people, need told people they needed to repent. You go down, every prophet, they told them the same thing. Repent. Turn away from your sins. Because people often thought they were okay. The way they were. And God repeatedly had to remind the people, uh, no, you're not. You, you hear what I'm saying? You're not okay. You've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. No one stands before God based on their own righteousness. You need to repent. You need to change your life. And then Jesus preached. preached. Am I thinking of peaches today? (sighs) He preached judgment. A lot of people don't like to admit that word. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus' teaching, was like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered the fish of every kind. And when it was full, the men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted out the good 
from the and threw them into a container. But the the other ones they threw away. They threw the bad fish away. And Jesus said, "So it will be at the end time. Angels will come down and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in a place that will be." Weeping and gashing of teeth. These words of Jesus are found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50, if you want to read it. There's going to come a day, a day of judgment. And we got to be ready for that day. These were the types of things all prophets preached. But... But, 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 whatever prophet said, come unto me all who labor are in a heavy laden and I will give you rest. No prophet had that authority. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burdens light. Those words of Jesus are found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28. No other prophet could ever say those words. You catch that? Come into me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. No prophet could ever say anything like that except Jesus. No wise man. No philosopher, no person of wealth, no person of power, and definitely not Moses. But Jesus could because there was something about Jesus that changed people. Jesus hung out with drunkards, prostitutes, outcasts. Bible records that. He wasn't with all the nice fine people I'm looking at. He was with some rough and tough people. And by the time Jesus was done with them, finished with them, they weren't drunkards, they weren't prostitutes, and they weren't outcasts anymore. The very presence of Jesus changed people. Jesus had promised, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Those words from the book of John 10.10. Favorite verse, 10.10. The very presence of Jesus changed people. Do you remember the time when Jesus had been invited to Simon the Pharisee's house? I'll give you a short version of it. Simon invited Jesus, but deliberately snubbed him and did not give him a kiss of greeting or wash his feet or anoint his head with oil. That was common courtesy in the Middle East. Still is to this day almost. They were common courtesies that Simon chose to ignore, perhaps with the intention of creating a scene if Jesus had shown any anger at this. Legally, he had a right. But then a woman comes in to the room and she has not been invited. You go check, she was not invited to the party. She was not even the kind of person you would invite to this kind of gathering. She was a prostitute. She was a lady of the evening. 
She was a pavement princess. The new term out there, pavement princess. And I doubt she wanted to do anything more than simply be in the presence of this prominent rabbi. Jesus would have been the rock star of the age. Uh, An important person who everybody wanted to meet. But I doubt, personally I doubt, that she came to be changed by him. But she was. She was changed. Standing near Jesus, and you know what she did first? She cried. She wept tears of shame and guilt, and her tears wet Jesus' feet. And then she began to wipe his feet with her hair. Just something about being near Jesus changed her. Even kind of like this, what I'm going to tell you about. Now, some of you might remember this. Some of you might have been too young at the time this came out. This this movie came out in 1979. Some of you weren't even born. Sorry about that. Back in 1979, there was a movie called The Jesus Movie. And it was translated into numerous languages and used as an evangelical tool. It was the first movie they did that with. And in even the missionaries, they'd put up bed sheets and screen the show and they'd run a little generator and show the movie on both sides and you'd, it was a movie about Jesus. And you can watch it on YouTube still. It wasn't the real Jesus, but it touched lives. Johnny Olson was from Oslo, Norway. And this is his bombing event. He was known as a neo-Nazi and one of Norway's most notorious criminals. In the late 1990s, he walked into the office of the Norwegian newspaper and confessed to this bombing. It was an anti-racism center in Oslo in 1994. His lawyer said... Now, Johnny Olson, Norway, check it out, I'm telling you, said that the film was what made him realize that he had to show his hand. It's been a long process, his lawyer said, but the Jesus film made a difference. Now, James Anderson, there's this man named James Anderson, he walked into the sheriff's office in Palm Beach, Florida, and confessed to having robbing a bank two years ago. And this was, you know, he's like five, seven years ago, right? And he'd gotten away with $2,500, and the police had no leads. He was actually a good bank robber, right? And he decided to become clean, or come clean, after watching the Jesus movie on YouTube. That's him. He confessed because of a movie, and what he saw of Jesus in a movie. Then, there's something about this, oh, I love this story. Jesus, you know, the story about Ben-Hur, right? The very story of Jesus in the movie that changed lives, and you, how many of you have seen this version of Ben-Hur? 
You know, there are five versions of Ben-Hur out there. This is my favorite, but there are five versions. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of the book. That's the guy who wrote it. That's the first printing. The movie's based on a book by Lul Wallace. Apparently, he'd been on a train once with the renowned agnostic Ingersoll. Neither Wallace nor Ingersoll believed that Jesus of the Bible. They didn't, they didn't believe in him. But on that train, Ingersoll convinced Wallace to write a book about Christ without the miraculous nonsense. So, see, they both rejected that idea of the miraculous nonsense. Ingersoll commented, tear down the prevailing sediment of his divineness and paint him as he was, as a man among men. That's what the book was about. Take away all the stuff and just paint him as a man among men. Wallace took the challenge. He, he, he was in the Civil War on the winning side, right? So he had time to do it. And they started to research the Gospels. And he created a plot. And what started out as a skeptic's reworking of the Gospel story turned out to be a reworking of Wallace's heart of the skeptic. By the time Wallace had done writing the book, Jesus had changed him. And he discovered... Christ was more than just a man. He was God in flesh. Ben-Hur was written by a guy who hated Jesus and became a Jesus follower. Maybe that's why it's such a success. You see, Jesus was a prophet. And his message was himself. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he might live. And everyone who lives believes this, and he shall never die. And then he asked, do you believe this? That's recorded in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Now, we do all sorts of crazy things in our church. And in today's bulletins, you have a lot of announcements. I mean, there are really lots of announcements. Watching myself on YouTube is not exciting, but it's in there. Now, just so you know, we had to move the camera because somebody requested it so we can get the musicians in there too. I mean, that's what we do. There are a couple of people are hidden behind there so they can't be seen. That's because they what they want. When the lid's up on the piano, I've got it strategically placed so you're not seeing that much. But we, in your bulletin, you have several pieces of paper. One is a concert. Why do we do concerts? So you can invite somebody to church. No, 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 no. That is why we do concerts. So you can say, hey, our church is going to have Milo. Our church is going to have a hymn night. Or our church is going to have this. You want to come with me? We'll go have coffee at Denny's afterwards. Because we're not really good at inviting our neighbors to do anything. We have the very best thing in the world. And, no offense, most people don't want to ask. They might think I'm crazy. They already think you're crazy, so ask them anyhow. Okay? We have, we have concerts set up over the night. Now, then we have this thing for you. Everyone says, well, nobody ever told me how to share Jesus. Well, the Gideons are going to do that. 
You got one in your bulletin for you to put on your refrigerator, and you got one to invite a neighbor to it, and it's on a Saturday, and it's from one to three. Now, we will have coffee, and somebody will make some goodies, and there'll be goodies. And the Gideons, now this is the first one in the state of North Dakota. Okay? We get the first shot. They, they went to training. They're giving up their Saturday. Do you know somebody who says they don't know how to share Jesus or ever made that comment to you? Or, or you, you know, you want to be able to share them with a lost son, a lost daughter. You want to have a way to do it that you don't, they don't think you're as stupid as they think you are. Did I say that politely? They think you are because you're following God. But you're not. Because Jesus was a prophet. And he said, come, I will take this off you. Not, not, no one else could say that. So, we, we were doing this, and it's a little crazy. Now, I will tell you, no one's ever done it in the state of North Dakota before. Right, Ron? We're the first. So if you want to come in on Saturday, from one to three, they, there'll be goodies, and they will teach you a simple way to share the gospel with an unsaved nephew, niece, daughter, son, father, mother. Because we have only one job, to save people from the pit of hell. That's our only job. And you can't say you're not going to be trained. No one's ever told you how to do it. If somebody's willing to tell you how to do it, you got to be kind of dumb not if you, not to show up. There's no cost, and you're going to get coffee, and we'll find some cookies. And why am I pushing that? Because when I sat in the pews, nobody ever told you how to share God. And then when I went to seminary, nobody ever taught you how to share God. Did you know that? You go to seminary, they don't teach you that. They teach you all the other Bible stuff. They also don't teach bookkeeping or office or any of that stuff. They don't teach you to be part of the community. Some of you commented on my bad stocking cap in the paper on Friday or Saturday. It was cold, okay? I wore a stocking cap. But we've been up there 17 years. We're part of the community. We do things. People do things here. That is what a church is supposed to be. There's always something going on. There are times there's too much going on. But we do this to share the good news. See, that's our only job. We have the very best thing in the world. I get to go home someday. I don't have to worry about dying. I'm going home. But there are people I want to take with me. So, I... I I bent Gideon's arms behind their back and told them they're doing it here first. And they agreed. And guess what? It wasn't that hard. They're one of our missionary partners. But if you don't know how to share with somebody who's lost, you got a nephew, niece, granddaughter, grandchild, then there's a little sign-up sheet out there, right? Show up and spend two hours learning something that you don't know. Because that is all we're to do. God left us to do one thing. You're here for one thing, to share the gospel. I know you'd like to have all the fancy stuff in life, but that's your only job. You are his sheep of his pasture, 
and you're here to share. So they're willing to train you if you're willing to show up. And don't come alone. That's why you have two invitations, right? Grab somebody. Now, this would not be training really for an unsaved person, right? Because you're, you're going to learn how to save them, right? That This is not what this is for. This is for somebody you know who says, well, I don't know how to share the, the gospel with my child. I don't know how to share it with my niece. I don't know how to share it with my sister. Jesus prophesied that few will be saved. Don't lose your nephew without a try. So we're going to close in prayer. And then we're going to have a final song. The sign-up sheet's going to be over past the little um, compu- um, elevator thing. We're putting it in there. Or you can see Ron. He'll be. I'm sure he'll sneak over there, right? But this is the first time ever offered in the state. No one else, no other church, no other building's got it. We get it first. God blesses us because we're faithful. Let's enjoy it. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we pray for the peace of Israel. We do lift them up, Father. But right now, for us personally, we need to lift up nephews, nieces, children, grandchildren, brothers, sisters, parents who we know aren't going to heaven. We humbly ask you that you start working on their heart that they might be able to say, I do believe this. Start preparing the soil, Father. Prepare it that we might share. Let us learn. This is our humble, simple prayer. And all God's people said, Amen.